we're back. We're back. It's a distraction. I'm through. That's broad. And we have a special crossover edition of the podcast. That's right. Crossovers are not just for television anymore. They're also for podcasts. So, Roth, we're doing a special Tiger Woods edition of the distraction. Oh, I know who I am. Tiger Tiger Woods, the golfer? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The golfer. Yeah. Very little known. Very obscure. Why are we the only ones talking about him? Yeah. I don't know. We're going to put him in the Pantheon. We're going to figure out, is Tiger Woods a tier one Pantheon (laughs) alpha level member of the golf uh, Pantheon? I said Pantheon too many times. Just let's keep going. <laughs> the, uh, the good folks at Stitcher have a, uh, a special podcast called All-American Tiger Woods. It goes deep into the, uh, the Tiger Woods legacy. And they want us to talk a little bit about Tiger to go alongside it. And, of course, Jay Sherman of The Critic will be joining us, too. No. <laughs> no, he won't. Uh, joining us to talk all things Tiger is the immortal Shane Ryan. Wow, <laughs> Shane Ryan. Shane Ryan of Golf Digest and the author of Slaying the Tiger and also the host of the Apocalypse Sports Radio Podcast. How are you doing, Shane? Hey, guys. I am doing very well. Thank you very much for having me. How is your, how's your handicap? So I haven't played golf, I think, in five years. So uh, wow. I am a professional golf writer. Yeah, I, I plan to take it up this fall, actually, but I got really obsessed with tennis at some point. But the, uh, the best score I've ever shot on a, a pretty easy uh, municipal course is 85. That's good. Yeah. I hate you. That's yeah, it, it was pretty, it was, but I mean, that's the best. That's I don't don't get the wrong impression that that's a normal score for me. I think no, anything yeah, better just, than that is perverted. Like yeah. if you're somebody yeah. that routinely <laughs> shoots in the low 80s, like you've got issues at home, probably. Yeah, yeah I didn't, I didn't like, want to become a sociopath. So the minute I shot 85, I said that's it. I'm yeah, gonna... switch to tennis. Do something yep. normal. <laughs> <laughs> I I hate guys who just happen to be scratch golfers who are like oh yeah he uh, you know Bob and payroll you know he's a scratch golfer like what no they're, they're always very 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 casual about it aren't they you never they expect are! them yeah <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I yelled at my dad a while back because my uh, my old man he was playing golf during the pandemic and I. Uh, like, we were going to see each other, and so we all agreed to do a hard quarantine beforehand. And I said, you're staying in the house, right? You're, you're not playing golf. And my dad goes, uh. I was like, you are. <laughs> you are playing golf, old man. And I was, like, I was like, he's like, yeah, but do I, I use my own cart. I was like, well, do you wipe the cart down before you use it? And he was like, uh. I was like, dad. Yeah, my, my parents uh, both live in Florida, and they both are constantly saying, you know, we're very careful. We're very, very careful. I'm like, do you play golf and tennis still? They're like, yes, every day. Yeah, uh, this is, <laughs> that's what's amazing about parents of that generation. Mine are the same way, where it's like, as yeah. soon as they start telling you how good they're being and how careful they've been, <laughs> it's just like you can start the clock on being like, so we went to the supermarket, and we touched every fennel, and we didn't buy any because we didn't need <laughs> exactly. fennel. But it's just like incredible the energy it's, it's that like they the put words. into getting this wrong yeah it's like the words mean more than the reality as long as they say they're being careful that's what counts yeah god yeah, bless it's them. like my it's it's like trusting my child with the truth it's it's <laughs> all yeah it's completely vast accords now i have to be like mom dad now don't make me spank you yeah i feel like golf is like if you had to have a parent doing anything like that provided they're not like you know high-fiving other people or you know giving caddies back rubs they don't want or something like you can play golf in a way that's decently normal and distanced yeah. in a way you can't do most other sports. I just don't trust anyone my parents age to do that. 
Yeah, that's, that's the thing. It seems safe. And then my mom will call and say, oh, you wouldn't believe this guy shook hands with us before our round. It was a single course, that got placed yeah. with us. And then two holes later, he says he just flew in from New Jersey. And you're like, well, that, that's the thing, isn't it? <laughs> like, in theory, golf is safe. But then the uh, like what actually happens on the course is a completely yeah. different story. Once you, mix, yeah. once you mix golfers into it, uh, it's a pretty much a disaster. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's one of because it, it seemed to me it was one of the ones that it was one of the sports that came back the quickest because it yeah. seemed to me like it, it barely even had to should have even had to take a break. Like the only thing, the only danger was like the caddy handing you a club, and you don't really have to do that. But they came right. back and they still fucking did it. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh, give me a plug your own goddamn clubs. Let them use a cart like fucking Casey Martin. I, did. <laughs> I was at the uh, Players Championship when they canceled it. They played one day, and that was the week that all the you know the college basketball conference tournaments were canceling and everything like that and it was remarkable yes. how badly the pga tour didn't want to <laughs> didn't want to cancel things they went through like every gradation on the way to being like all right we're going to be very cautious uh now we're doing this now we're doing that and finally i think like you said drew it was just like a pr thing that forced them to do it and uh, i think the plans to uh to come back were largely based on like how what is a good period of time that seems like we care <laughs> before we yeah, right, before we start right. before we started again but to their credit they've done a great job so i mean yeah i think i think golf is one of those sports that's very um i guess quote unquote safe by the standards of of professional sports it is and yeah the other problem is like the golfers like i i assume like to, to me, like a golf course is the most responsible place like Ian Poulter can be because if he's not there, then he's going to be having an orgy inside the trunk of his own Ferrari. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Well, even I, you know, I went to Hilton Head, which was I think the second tournament back uh, after the restart, and there were stories about people holding big parties, like golfers and caddies having these huge like house parties, and totally. it was really bad. And then there was a point a couple weeks later at Connecticut where uh, three or four people tested positive and it seemed like they were on the verge of a disaster. But supposedly, not only did the PGA Tour get in these guys' ears, but the veteran golfers started yelling at the caddies. I mean, it became this really like self-policing thing where people were very pissed at how everybody was behaving. But yeah, I mean... Look, you've got a ton of conservative guys as professional golfers. They're going to be defiant. You, like, you know the type exactly. They're not. It, it's yep, going to take yep. so much to get them to to actually, uh, you know, observe any protocol. The amount of fucking partying those guys do that's left on the cutting room floor that doesn't get reported. Is it, and the American guys party as well. I know the me. European guys are like legendarily like that's just like the lifestyle that that I aspire to in my middle age is being like. Just a Spanish pro golfer who yeah. smokes while he's working. It's <laughs> like, like just a separate caddy that just gives him Rioja whenever he feels like it. Like those guys seem like they're living the life. The Americans all seem like kind of buttoned up, like University of Tennessee type dudes. Yeah, and I think on the European tour they make a lot less money, and so the tradition there is for players to get dinner together, to hang out together, and to party together. And there's great stories of. You know, like, yeah, people getting drunk, having huge parties on like Fridays, whereas the Americans, um, they are very buttoned up. Most of them are from the South and things like that. And it's not that, you know, we're here to talk about Tiger Woods. It's not that they don't get into some nasty stuff, but um, <laughs> they also make enough money so that they can bring their family with them a lot of times. They can bring their agents. They can bring their team. And so I think it would be a lot more boring, actually, week to week than you'd expect. I think these guys kind of hole up in their hotel rooms. Um, clearly they take the golf very, very seriously. So I don't think there's that much drinking going on. Uh, yeah, I think it's a pretty mundane existence. I don't, it's not very romantic at all. Like the life of a, an American professional golfer. You're giving me uh, you're giving me some Jim Nance vibes. Telling me about the self-policing. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm, I, you know, like I know, I know goddamn well that matches in November. I know goddamn well that Nance is going to be like, 
these guys, they didn't need the government to prevent COVID. They, <laughs> they had a code of honor amongst yeah. themselves. And that's just so beautiful, friends. Yeah, I, there are things like, that are like stronger than fighter. pandemics, friends. Like any golf writer, I'm also a propagandist for the PGA Tour, so I, I probably should have told you guys right. that coming in. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's it's true. That's worked. The only thing that's worked in any sport is basically like the force of like a red ass guy you work with is like the only thing that can make a professional athlete behave. Yeah, if it hundred percent. Yeah, like liberals like screaming that this is dangerous is not going to affect these guys. Uh, it's gonna that just no, makes it worse. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it just make makes it them want to do worse. Hundred percent. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah, then they would be like, well, I'm going to dry hump this mask instead of wearing it. What do you think about that? <laughs> and then I'm going to wear it afterwards. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not going to work. Yeah, but I mean, that's the thing. I, can, I think a lot of people, including myself, thought this wasn't going to work. And not because of the danger of being on the golf course, but the fact that they're not in a bubble, that, you know, they're going home, they're living their lives. Uh, so it's like, how do they not catch COVID and spread it to each other? But here we are a few months later. And yeah, it's been very surprising. Uh, so to that end, let's talk about Tiger Woods. The, the Woods, golfer, see? you mean? <laughs> yeah, the golfer, uh-huh. not Tiger Woods, the football player. Okay. Tiger Woods, the uh, the Robert golfer. Because Tiger Woods. With the Masters coming in November, I want to talk to you first of all about Tiger's chances there, because obviously he won the Masters last year. Uh, one of the things that made that Masters victory so cool, apart from the fact that it's just Tiger Woods, he hadn't won a major, and I'm going to get this wrong. I believe it was 12 years in between major victories yeah, for him, right. Shane. Um, and. And he was very uh, human. Like, they, when you see Tiger on the course, that's arguably when he's at his most human because he is so painfully, even now, I would say, uh, you know, painfully diligent about never looking fucking human and hates it when he appears <laughs> yes. to be human. And to that end, it would appear that he has an awful lot in common with Augusta National itself because you wrote about it, Shane. You wrote about how, how basically before the tournament they'll shoot every fucking beaver and bird like on the property. It's like, and they'll die. They'll dye all the water blue and all the grass green to, so that they're, so that everything looks presentable and perfect and, uh, and professional. And yet behind, it's just really just a, a authoritarian shit show behind the scenes. Yeah, no, that's right. And, uh, yeah, tiger, tiger very much, um, he is human in some ways that you know he doesn't want to get out, and in, and in all the way, and in all nope. the ways he's inhuman. Those are the ones that we see. Oh, name one. Yeah, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, no, I I hate to speak a bad no, word good. about Tiger Woods, but yeah, I think the comparison is good. Uh, there is a very um, strong drive on the part of Augusta National to present an image that is very polished and clean when clearly, you know, you dig beneath the surface a little bit and you find it's not true. Like it was started by these racist stockbrokers from the North and it has all these horrible traditions and everything like that. Um, didn't admit women and, and, and black people for a very long time. And then, yeah, Tiger is similar. Uh, it's, it's very seedy when you, <laughs> it's very seedy and sad when you, when you get beneath, yeah, when you get beneath right the word. surface, but he's, you know, he and his people try very hard to present this image of like, Hey, this lovable guy. But the funny thing is, I mean, the story when he won the Masters last year it was so overwhelmingly positive that, you know, on the <laughs> the long view, you're like, yeah, they, it worked. Like, they were successful. The, the Tiger Woods PR team, uh, at least, like, somehow they made him likable again. Or maybe it was just the fact that we love to see, you know, people come back from the depths of, uh, you know, the lowest possible place. But, yeah, it was, it was funny last year to see that, that it was almost in the sports world, just a, a very positive story, him winning the Masters. Yeah, it was definitely the first time he'd won an event amid that type of, not just in terms of good feeling or whatever, but where 
I, the thing that I associate with him is just that absence of doubt from when he was great. And so it was a question of, like, when would he make his move? Who would come closest? Like, how would they fail under the pressure of, like, facing Tiger Woods? And in this case, it was, I think, the first time that I can remember watching him being like, is he actually yeah. going to do this? Like, not that it was, there was no negative other, like, factor. It was just basically, like, can he actually pull the shit off? Which well, was, because part of that was that his mystique in the beginning was manufactured, like, deliberately. It was established mm-hmm. by his father. It was established, not only that, in the Gary Smith uh, Sportsman of the Year article, he was named Sportsman of the Year before he even uh, played in a professional tournament. And so all of that, it became a self-fulfilling prophecy where the idea was that he was basically otherworldly, not human. And that translates to the course where he, where everyone else, the field always faded because they just always wilted because it just seemed like he was just a fucking cyborg. And they liked having that reputation. And then, of course, uh, the, <laughs> the, the car wreck happens, the divorce and, and all that stuff. And, and the mystique through uh, circumstances that Woods could not control and his people could not control died. So when you were watching that Masters a year ago, there wasn't that mystique because of that. And it's almost, you know, almost all the shitty st- stuff he did was the reason you were rooting for him because he, you actually saw him as human for the first time. Is that completely batshit and stupid to say? No, you're totally right. And I think also um, alongside that, just from a competitive angle, you know, in the heyday, there was a sense of inevitability about it. Even when he was playing really close, like duels against Rocco Media, when he, you know, won the US Open with a broken leg or when he beat Bob May um, at the PGA Championship, you kind right. of always knew he was going to come through because that's what he did. And then, you know, he loses to Y.E. Yang in the final round of the PGA Championship in uh, 2009, I think. And that was the first time he had ever had a lead. Uh, after 54 holes and lost a major. And then yeah, <laughs> and then later that year, like you said, everything goes downhill. Everything happens. And so the experience at the 2019 Masters was, I think for me and probably for a lot of people watching, wow, this would be a cool story, but he's probably not going to do it, which was completely like the opposite of what you would think, you know, in the late 2000s or, or any, basically any time after 1999 when he was just reeling them off and winning every single right. one when he was in contention. Let me take a break and come back and we'll talk more uh, Tiger and we'll be right back. And we're back. Wow. How about that? That was so fast. (laughs) So Shane, I got another question for you about uh, Tiger as we're looking over the expanse of his career, which now covers more than two decades. I actually was not in America when he won that Masters in 1997. I was in England. Mm. And I, uh, and I, I read about it in USA Today because it, you know, it happened at fucking 3 a.m. or whatever British time when he won. Uh, and, you know, since then, I wanted to ask you, because I, I felt like the promise of Tiger in the initial, um, in the sort of initial building of his mythos was that he was going to change the sport of golf and not simply out of not simply for the sake of diversity although of course that's extremely important but that he was going to open up the game and get more people uh into it and get people from not uh not only not only uh 
black people and Asian people and, and Latino people golfing, but also anybody from a lower, uh, lower tax bracket golfing and open up the sport. And I don't feel like any of that actually happened. And I don't necessarily feel like Tiger himself was all that intent on it. Can you tell me if either of those things are true? Yeah, no, you're dead on. Uh, there, <laughs> you're, um, the initial thing reminded me of a quote that his dad said when he turned pro, and I'm reading it here from a New Yorker article. Um, he said Tiger is going to do more than any other man in history to change the course of humanity. So yep. I remember yeah. that. It's so good. It's all A lot of that's in the first episode of Tiger 2, and they are all like... It's not even like a metaphor of him being a Christ type figure. His dad is like, my son, uh, who's three, is a Christ type figure yeah. to me. Yeah, there's there's no <laughs> like, subtlety to it. You don't have to exaggerate Earl Woods' words at all. Yeah. It's like, oh, what a modest goal you have for your son. Um, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> drain the world's oceans and find and kill God. How hard is yeah. it? Yeah, Earl, Earl was like, like you've had Jesus. You've had, you've had the rest. Now have the best. It's like, okay, all right. That's bold. That's right. Yeah. And so, but you know, but you're right. I mean, it's <laughs> like the reason that, you know, like all rich white people uh, are the ones who play golf usually or middle class white people or whatever is um, partly cultural, but I think overwhelmingly economic. And Tiger Woods being the best golfer in the world for, you know, two decades is not going to change the obstacles to getting into golf, which is that it's extremely expensive. And so, you know, the PGA Tour has tried very hard to get. You know, whatever they call it, inner city or you know, like urban people into golf. Uh, but they've tried to, you know, get more of a minority representation in there. And it's tough. I mean, there's just if you have an expensive sport, it's going to be hard to play. Uh, it's hard to access golf courses and things like that. So I think, yeah, Tiger hasn't done that. But to your other point, he is very much like Michael Jordan in the sense that anytime race was brought up around him, he you know, he wants to be like 10 miles away. Um, there was this, there's an AP writer named Doug Ferguson who covers the sport. And I don't know if you guys remember when Kelly Tillman, uh, said the word Lynch in some context with Tiger Woods. Yes, I do remember that. Yeah. And it was the kind of thing where, um, I think she got suspended and it was one of those weird, she she got suspended, but in the first press conference back, Doug Ferguson, the AP writer didn't want to be the one to ask Tiger Woods this question because he knew it was going to piss him off and nobody else would do it. And this is a classic thing with golf, right? Nobody will ever ask the tough question. Uh, And so Doug Ferguson was forced to be the one to ask it. And, you know, Tiger gave some pat answer. But after the press conference, he was walking away and was like, fucking Ferguson. You know, he was like very, very upset that he had been asked this question. And just in microcosm, I think that, you know, represents what he's been like his whole career. He doesn't want to touch racial stuff at all. Uh, He never has... And I think, like Jordan, um, it's maybe like 5% a business decision and 95% that he just doesn't care. And it just doesn't enter into his world, and it's not something he, he gets passionate about. That, that's my take on yeah, it. Yeah, the, uh, the exact uh, quote from Lynch um, was that uh, – and I'm sorry, I'm taking this from Wikipedia. That's how, that's how, that's how professional <laughs> this podcast is. Uh, but it was during a PGA Tour telecast – and I'm quoting Wikipedia here. In response to co-anchor Nick Faldo's joke that younger players should gang up on Woods, Tillman replied, lynch him in a back alley. <laughs> Tillman was laughing during the exchange with Faldo at the Mercedes-Benz Championship. And Woods' agent at IMG was quoted as saying he didn't think there was any ill intent. Uh, but uh, right after that, uh, Al Sharpton demanded she would be fired. She apologized a day later. And she was, uh, she was suspended for two weeks by the Golf Channel. As a result of the comment, which I think is perfectly fair and I think seems to have... Uh, you know, I, 
We're three white guys talking right. about it. So I, you know, I don't want to have a roundtable saying like, well, that was, that was just and justice was served. That's going to, you know. But it, the, uh, it, was, it was interesting that you tell that story and that Tiger would seemingly have an opportunity to, re, to say, oh, well, that was shitty. Like, it just seems like a basic sort of boilerplate thing for someone to say, even if it's not that. And he wouldn't make that effort. Yeah, and it's been consistent. I mean, when you think about things that have involved Tiger Woods and race throughout his career, it's always been strange things. Like, um, Charlie Pierce wrote a profile on him in ooh, GQ or Esquire. I, can't, I think Esquire uh, in 97, and he had made, like, a racial joke. Okay, it's, this is, like, right. the kind of stuff that happens with Tiger. And then there's also a very weird thing. Um, Armin Katan and Jeff Benedict wrote a book about Tiger where they – interviewed 400 people, and there was this story that was in the Gary Smith profile that you talked about earlier. It was on a Barbara Walters interview, and the story was that in kindergarten, um, Tiger Woods had been tied to a tree and had stones thrown at him while people were, like, saying the N-word at him. And this was, like, kind of part of the formative story of, like, Tiger Woods' life, and, it, you know, it was a, a big thing when he, when he first turned pro. And, you know, I say this delicately, but Katane and Benedict interviewed everybody involved in it, and they make a very good case that Earl Woods completely made that story up. And so, yeah, it, it's there's no, like, positive racial thing that you can associate where Tiger went out and did something like this. Like, okay, I'm going to say something about, you know, using the word lynch or whatever it may be. All the stories are these sort of offbeat, um, weird things. And it, yeah, I guess I guess he's never really sort of been that involved in that element of his career. He's never seen that as his responsibility, and he's certainly never gone out of his way to, to really make that a public issue. There's an There's element people... of Tiger oh, that, I'm sorry, that has always seemed to me, like, in the way that, I guess, sort of similar to the way that Michael Jordan is, that, like, very intensely competitive and very obviously interested in that. But there's also this kind of anhedonic, like, it's not clear that he really was asking for any of this. I guess some of that goes back to having this super crazed you know, showbiz yeah. parent that molded his life and stuff like that. But with so much of, of like what we've seen of him and what has sort of, I mean, obviously the, this role of being like racial savior of this sport was sort of thrust upon him, yep. you know, by his dad, but then also by this sort of media and cultural expectation that he would want to do something more that it's been very difficult to tell what beyond golf he actually values like where the, the person sort of begins underneath the persona of, of the athlete. He definitely has like that Magic Johnson thing where he's like, he's, he, like he gets buff and he's like, I went spearfishing, <laughs> yeah. it was great. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, it's a great question, David. And that talking about that Katayan Benedict book, that was, they finished that book and sent it to their editor and the editor had the same problem. It's like, despite having 400 interviews, you, I don't get the feeling, the sense that I understand what drives Tiger Woods or what he's like, or you said anhedonic, it's like, is he ever happy? Is there any joy to this guy? Um, yeah, he does like his fantasy thing with the Navy SEALs for a long time. Um, yeah, obviously, yeah. you know, he, his dad was a huge womanizer, and it seems like everything Tiger Woods, you know, knew about women he took from his dad, and so that was maybe a source of pleasure, I guess. Uh, but yeah, no, it's like, yeah, what drives the guy beyond competition? I think it was always hard to say, and I'm telling you, even his PGA Tour fellow pros didn't really know this guy 
Marco Mira was supposedly his best friend, and they always kind of talked about that. Right. Now, Marco Mira was approached by Armin Katayan uh, for this book uh, while he was playing a pro-am at a tournament and immediately just like spilled how angry and upset he was at Tiger. Um, and this was supposed to be his best friend, and he didn't need any prodding to be like, you know, Tiger didn't come to my Hall of Fame induction ceremony. Uh, he hasn't talked to me. You know, at some point, he, I think the quote was, at some point, you've got to be a human being. And maybe that gets to the heart of what you were saying, David, is that nobody, uh, try as try as you might, it's very hard to locate the human center in Tiger Woods. Yeah. Well, I think at the, uh, he's sort of the foremost, one of the more prime exemplars, Jordan, I think, is this too, where, um, but particularly for Tiger, because his brand, his personal brand was uh, built around him at such a young age that it almost was, it was almost as if it was yeah. his identity yeah. itself. And so anytime that brand was dinged, his own identity, he had his own identity crisis. Now that's, that's some serious armchair yeah. psychology right there. <laughs> but Sounds that's good, always though. how it's read to me, though, that he, that he didn't like having that facade puncture because he was the facade. I think you're right. I mean, when he was three years old, his father was booking him on television shows. Right. And it, it, yeah. And I mean, like putting him in tournaments from a very young age, they had a deal where they would go Earl Woods and Tiger from the time he was like seven years old would go speak at country clubs for appearance fees. And it was kind of worked out by from a very, very early age by like the Wasserman media company um, that he would get paid, you know, these outrageous exorbitant appearance fees. And that would uh, fund him being able to play junior golf and things like that. So, yeah, it was his consummate identity from the very, very beginning. And so you go, well, yeah, where is the human supposed to enter in? From the, he's, been, he's been bred for this and groomed for this from the time he was very little in kind of a sick way. And yeah, it gets to the whole thing of like, yeah, there's a lot, of, there's a lot about Tiger where he's a jerk a lot of the time. He's hyper competitive. Um, obviously, he's got these crazy pressure releases that were very bad for him. But then you go, can you really blame him? I mean, right. like, what a life. What a life where not only do you have yeah. this showbiz dad that grooms you for this, but just so happens that you're not one of the normal kids where you're not that good and you burn out and hate your father for the rest of your life, right, and go on to do something else. You, you turn out to be fucking yeah. amazing at golf. You know what I mean? You turn out to be... <laughs> your yeah. dad is your, your awful dad is dead dad right. Is golf right. Jesus. <laughs> like you, it's like if Todd Marinovich had been good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And so, yeah, yeah I, I think from from that vantage point, yeah, you can see Tiger as a, a figure of pity, if you want. Um, you know, even though he's you know like very rich and very successful, I mean, I think that angle is is legitimate. You got for him to win the Masters in November? No, I don't think so. Uh, I, there's a lot of other golfers. I, I, you know, I say I know them. I, I've talked with them a lot, and I like them. And you know, I think Tiger's had his time. I, I won't be. I won't be one of the guys like, yeah, overtly pulling for him. But that said, I won't. If he wins, that's great. That'll be totally fine with me. Thank you so much, Shane, for coming on with us. I would suppose you do a fun bag question, but we're already past our time. Uh, Brandon Nix is the producer and the engineer of the show. Daisy Rosario is our executive producer. And Citrus Chief Content Officer is Chris Bannon. Now, if you liked All American, you can subscribe to All American. For an ad-free version of this show, go to stitcherpremium.com. Same thing with the distraction, too, our little podcast. In fact, you can use a promo code DISTRACT to get a free month of Stitcher Premium if you use that promo code. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is you listen to this podcast or to that podcast. Thank you, Shane, for coming on. Thank you, Roth. Thanks, man. We're going to do another one of these, Roth, uh, about Tiger uh, in the coming weeks. You excited to talk more golf? 
Yeah, sure, sure. This is Tiger Woods, the... Yeah, I know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks. Bye.